Hey y'all, I'm Sammy, your host of the You Were Made For More podcast. John 10.10 is a promise that Jesus came down to earth so that we would have life and have it abundantly. My prayer is that this podcast and all of the content that we put out would remind every student that they were made for more simply because of who they were created to be. My own walk with the Lord and my relationships with the teenagers that I disciple have shown me that once we understand whose we are, the game changes. Or in other words, transformation happens. Our identity changes everything. We recognize that it takes investment and partnership between the church and parents to raise teens who know and believe who they are in Jesus. And we're here to help. So buckle up as we take this journey and take a look at what God has to say about friendships, relationships, sexuality, dating, and all the things in between. and welcome to the You Were Made For More podcast. I am really, really excited about this episode that we have for you guys today. It's going to be a little different than the other episodes we've done, but I'm excited to introduce you to um, Madison McQuarrie, who is a Christian creator, writer, a teacher, and also a passionate fashion blogger. So she wears a lot of hats. And Madison and I connected on Instagram after a mutual, um, someone who we mutually followed had reposted one of her Instagram posts that really caught my attention. And I couldn't help but reach out to her to be on the podcast. So today we are going to talk about some unpopular opinions. Here are some of the topics we're going to cover. Canceling culture and the danger of censorship. Why open dialogue is important. Abortion. Human trafficking. Women's health care. Modern day feminism and the sexual revolution. And Madison is so educated about all of these topics. She really has worked hard to form educated, knowledgeable opinions about them that are rooted in scripture. And we're going to talk about all of those things. So I'm excited. Let's dive into today's episode. Here we go. All right, Madison, welcome to the You Are Made For More podcast. I'm excited to dive right in. We have so much to cover. Your Instagram post like really just resonated me and sparked a lot of things that I think we need to talk about and hit on. So we're gonna dive right in. Can you, I've already kind of premised who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about. Um, And we're gonna cover basically every area of passion that Madison has throughout the different conversations we have today. So Madison, the first thing I want to talk to you about that you mentioned in your Instagram post that featured unpopular opinions, and that's linked in our show notes for those of you who are listening. Can you tell me a little bit about cancel culture, what it is, And why you think that it basically needs to be eliminated. We cannot go along with what this movement is telling us to do. 
Absolutely. So I kind of feel like over the last year, in 2021, we saw cancel culture attack someone new every week, it felt like. It didn't matter if they were a small business owner, celebrity, athlete, or just your average Joe. We saw people who were completely innocent have their lives destroyed by the mob attacking them for having different beliefs or talking about what they believe and what or who they support. Even if someone wasn't completely innocent, I don't think attacking them online for having the right to free speech is fair. And that is in essence why I think cancel culture is stupid. If you don't know what cancel culture is, it's essentially ostracizing someone from social or professional circles. While cancel culture can take place in someone's work life or career where they lose prestige, this often plays out the most on social media where people are attacked by a mob of others or more famous people and sometimes big tech gets involved and blocks people in their accounts. So we really see it play out a lot on social media for the most part today. Overall, cancel culture is incredibly unfair because we live in a country where we are granted the right to free speech and to share our opinions. It's part of the fiber of our country. However, culture today is incredibly biased. People get canceled when they say something that offends the woke mob. So really, cancel culture is all about people with hurt feelings who think they have the truth and anyone else is wrong. The thing I personally dislike about cancel culture is that it creates this kind of double standard where people with moral beliefs are attacked for the truth they share, are censored online and have their accounts removed, while people who might actually have dangerous and destructive beliefs, posts, or content are left to just freely keep posting things online, which makes absolutely no sense. So that's kind of where the double standard comes in. Our society today dictates what's acceptable online when it fits the majority narrative. And I really wish we would apply cancel culture. As much as I hate it, I wish that we would take it and apply it to things that really deserve to be canceled, like human trafficking, abortion, and the porn industry. I think we could take cancel culture and use it for something good rather than something bad. Yes, I totally agree with you. I love how you highlighted that we should be using the cancel culture movement for something good rather than something bad. It's so hard to share any opinion that you have that is against what the media normally portrays as being accepted. And so many times when you do share that opinion that's different, you're labeled as things that you aren't simply because you disagree with what those voices that oftentimes are the loudest say and that's not how it should be. The second question I want to ask you is based off of open dialogue and why you believe open dialogue is so important. And if you're listening to this and you're not sure what open dialogue is, it basically is being willing to have conversations about hard topics with people, whether they disagree with you or not. Um... And it's being open to hearing what they have to say. It's being open to sharing your opinion in a non-threatening and non-violent way with them in an effort to receive education, basically, um, and to understand the other side in order to form your opinion stronger than it already is. So, Madison, tell me a little bit about why you believe that's important. 
Yeah, so I think open dialogue is incredibly important for many reasons. I'll honestly be the first to admit that I absolutely hate conflict, but I believe even if we have conflicting views with someone, we should still be able to have a conversation about what we believe and it still be respectful at the end of the day. However, our society has really become a place where we're now people who say, well, you don't believe the same things I do and I'm not going to talk to you anymore. When if we could have conversations centered around respect instead of hatred and attacking, we might learn something new or simply at least be able to see a topic from a different perspective. Instead, we are more frequently noticing fragile people who get their feelings hurt and hurt others in return. Really, people have just become kind of crybabies, for lack of a better word, and they are quick to lash out when they don't like what someone says, even though they have the right to say it. I personally believe that open dialogue starts from a place of respect, but it also, even more importantly, centers on being informed, being able to ask questions like, can you tell me why you believe that? If people can't actually explain why they believe something, chances are they only believe it because someone told them to, and that isn't a valid argument or stance. When it comes to dialogue today, we often kind of experience gaslighting or stonewalling when talking to people where they refuse to even listen to us, or they use the conversation to try and manipulate our views and what we believe to fit what they want us to believe, kind of ensnaring us in our own words. At the end of the day, communication is one of the most important and powerful things we as human beings possess. Knowing how to communicate, but also communicating with clarity and respect is vital. When we lose our ability to communicate and be communicated to, we essentially fall apart. Words and knowledge are power, but when there is nothing backing those things up, they create a fragile society. And we are seeing this all around us today. Yeah, Madison, everything you said I really agree with. Um, There's a quote by Sharon McMahon, who is often referred to as America's government teacher because of the platform that she's built. Her Instagram went viral because of the educational resources that she posts on there and a very nonpartisan and objective way for people to learn from. I am obsessed with her. Um, and she said, to move outside of only understanding your own view, you have to be willing to hear what other people are saying about an issue, even if you disagree, don't agree with them. Listening to understand does not require you to agree with someone else's viewpoint. And I think that's so important. She is so good at leaning into this conversation about respecting others' opinions and listening to learn instead of listening to convince someone of your opinion. Um, and she also is big on really being able to explain why you believe what you believe. And the only way you're able to do that is through educating yourself. And Madison, I know through what, as we go throughout this episode and this conversation, you sh are going to share so many great resources where we can educate ourselves about these important issues. So definitely, if you're listening, go to the show notes and check out all of the things that Madison mentions and effort to kind of educate yourself more about, about these issues, whether you agree with Madison's opinion or not. It's something that's really important to do. All right, next question I have for you is about abortion. 
and I want to know what your opinion of abortion is and also I want you to talk to us about practical ways to give women support hope and encouragement and what you believe are some good practical things that we can do um to kind of shift the pro-life movement in that direction Oh man, this is the topic that gets me into the most hot water online, and it's by far the most unpopular opinion, even though a majority of the United States is actually against abortion. The problem is that the pro-abortion, as I call them, what they're really the pro-choice side, is often the loudest online and gets the headlines in the media. The fact of the matter is that abortion is one of the greatest tragedies and most horrendous evils in our world today. So let's kind of lay a couple of things about abortion out. One, abortion always ends a life, and sometimes it ends too. Secondly, abortion is dangerous and painful, both physically and emotionally. Thirdly, abortion is very rarely medically necessary, and even when a mother's health is at risk, early delivery is an option rather than abortion. And fourth, and this is the most controversial one, is that life begins at conception. Science proves this, but the world denies it. And the odd paradox is that the very group of people who continuously say to follow the science are the very people who deny the science of conception when they're faced with the realities of what abortion actually is. So those four things kind of frame a huge part of my personal belief in the inherent dignity of unborn life. However, apart from babies and what we know about the truth of what abortion actually is, let's talk about women. The fact of the matter is that women deserve better. Women deserve more than people telling them to kill their babies. Women deserve to be supported as they face unplanned pregnancies rather than told to kill their child and just go on with life. Women deserve to be directed to resources that help them process their situation with sensitivity and lay out all the options with hope rather than simply just be given a pamphlet for Planned Parenthood. Women deserve to know they can still be successful even when life goes unplanned. The sad truth is that women who experience abortion statistically are at risk to experience greater struggles with anxiety, depression, mental health, substance abuse, and more. The thing I always find so heartbreaking is the fact that the world tells women that abortion is their right because it's empowerment and freedom, but women have no clue how much trauma they will experience, and that ending a life doesn't actually free them at all, like the world says. No one will tell them this because all they care about is the financial business of abortion. I saw a quote the other day on Instagram from an account called New Wave Feminist, and it's a pro-life feminist account, and it said, when liberation costs innocent lives, it's merely oppression redistributed. And I thought that quote was so powerful and spot on. Women take to the streets chanting the power of abortion to liberate them. They swallow abortion pills on the sidewalk because they think it gives them power and creates a freer life. But those are all just lies that sadly the abortion industry has told them to get them to kill their own babies. And sadly, essentially fuel an industry that makes millions and billions of dollars every year off of murder. The other day when I was thinking about this podcast and my views on abortion, I realized that abortion kind of exists today in America because women have been given too much freedom. And I know that sounds weird, but hear me out. 
I have had people tell me many times, how can you be a pro-life person when you just want to control women's bodies? And the irony is that their comebacks like this have nothing to do with the baby and the life growing inside of the mother. The abortion debate isn't about controlling women at all. It's about protecting innocent life, and so many people lose sight of this. If pro-lifers were wanting to control women, women wouldn't be changing their minds about having abortions. They wouldn't be telling their stories of how they chose life and how it changed their life. If we were wanting to control women, we wouldn't have people like Abby Johnson who help people get out of working in the abortion industry and experience the actual freedom of being liberated from such a dark and evil place and job. If women were being controlled, they would have absolutely zero freedoms in our country, like many women do in other countries, but that's the beauty of living in America. So women have so much freedom because we live in America, and it's largely because of this that they freely, I believe, kind of often make these choices that result in unplanned pregnancies, and it's this idea of being set free that has sadly brainwashed far too many to believe that this freedom tells them to go out and kill their child for the sake of empowerment and liberation. Aside from this fact, though, the biggest argument you are going to see from the pro-choice side, which is really just pro-abortion, let's be honest, it's really just the pro-abortion side, is that they believe babies are parasites and that babies don't feel pain because they're just a clump of cells. They reiterate and repeat this so often. When we know that science proves otherwise, scientifically, we know that life begins at conception when sperm fertilizes an egg life is formed. And that is the beauty and miraculous aspect of life being created. Pro-choice advocates shout that women deserve the right to abortion and choice and that abortion is a simple medical procedure. But that is so far from the truth. The sad fact of the matter is that abortion always ends in life. Always the life of the baby and sometimes also the life of the mother through complications that and many times sadly arise. Not to mention if we look at abortion past the third trimester, this is a serious medical procedure that causes incredible pain and trauma to the mother. Not to mention that the baby is literally just ripped apart limb from limb. Even those who take the abortion pill will experience excruciating pain that they told would be nothing. And most women who experience abortion, like I mentioned before, struggle with years of depression and anxiety because abortion is serious trauma on the body and on the mind. Society tells women they can't achieve their goals unless they kill their child. But the fact of the matter is that the baby is never really the problem in these situations. It's often the woman's situation. Most abortions are out of necessity. So why are we telling mothers abortion is freedom when it's actually bondage? I often think, why don't we support and help women in hard situations rather than telling them to kill their baby? And this is actually precisely what pro-lifers do and what makes the movement so powerful and so different from the pro-choice side. At the end of the day, women deserve hope. Hope is one of the most beautiful and amazing things that we can offer other people in the world. Women deserve hope rather than a knife. And one of the biggest things we can do to offer women this hope is to make sure they are aware of their options. And by this, I mean that women need to know of the many pregnancy centers available to them in their community that are there to walk with them through unplanned pregnancies. 
to support them financially with resources, with counseling, and with more. The biggest reason women choose abortion is because of their circumstances, and we need to reach out to mothers who feel hopeless and remind them that their circumstances don't dictate their worth and the value of their unborn child. If we can specifically target and heal desperation and hopelessness, I think we will see so many more babies saved, as we already have. And we have seen this so much in the pro-life movement recently, and it's absolutely the most amazing thing to witness. Yeah, following the science is a phrase you hear a lot from the pro-choice movement. And in actuality, the Bible actually agrees with what the pro-life movement says it actually affirms with what the bible says about human life so thank you for pointing that out and also i just want to hit on something that madison said about the statistics regarding anxiety and depression and the trauma they can resort from receiving an abortion it isn't talked about enough and I honestly believe that that's a huge contributor to the statistics that we see our generation and the generations that come after us experiencing in regard to their mental health I think part of those statistics is people not receiving informed consent about things that they are taught to believe are actually good for them and give them freedom and those things do not give them freedom so whether that be about choosing whatever you want to do in regards to abortion or alcohol and drugs or partying or whatever we're taught that those things give us life and they actually do not they take away from our lives from the abundant life that we were meant to live And I really believe that plays a huge part in the mental health statistics that we see. So Madison, you did a great job on highlighting human life. So that leads me into my next question. It's about human trafficking. Um, This is a topic that we have covered briefly on this podcast, but I really think we need a bit more of like an education piece about human trafficking. And I think that you have so much education about this subject and can give us a really good overview of it. So I'm going to ask you to do that and to kind of dive in to some resources that can teach us more about human trafficking and why that takes away from the abundant life that we were meant to live. So next to talking about abortion, human trafficking is something I will never be quiet about. I remember when I first heard about human trafficking when I was in high school and my world was changed forever. Um, And the more I learned about it, the more my eyes are just open to the dark, evil world that we live in. And I think the reason people really struggle to grasp what it is and that it's happening is because it's truly so evil, it doesn't even seem possible that it exists, but it does. So to address your question, back at the beginning of the pandemic, I saw this political cartoon illustration picture on Instagram, and it was a picture of all these people in an art gallery looking at this kind of small picture on a wall that said COVID cases. And then behind the people, there was this huge elephant that read human trafficking. And seeing that picture really made me realize that amidst all the crazy stuff that has happened since the 2020 election and the pandemic, the one constant that has 
far surpassed everything as human trafficking, especially since trafficking cases have nearly tripled around the world since the pandemic. The staggering thing about human trafficking is that I think in order to really impress upon people how grave this issue is, you have to talk about the numbers. And the fact of the matter is that there are over 40 million people in human trafficking today, but we know that there are way more people than that because so many of them go unidentified. So if you aren't familiar with what trafficking is, it is the harboring or transporting of people using force, fraud, or coercion to obtain some type of work or commercial sex act. It is the exploiting of people through taking away their humanity and dignity and viewing them as objects to be bought and sold. So trafficking happens in two forms. One of those is labor trafficking. So think like fast fashion factories, sadly, basically any of our clothes and things that we're buying and sex trafficking. So think brothels, massage parlors and prostitution. So when it comes to human trafficking, I think that a lot of people struggle to grasp the overarching severity of the issue because the media spins the narrative in a way that people start to believe it's just a conspiracy. And while there have indeed been some conspiracies about trafficking, at the end of the day, human trafficking is very real and it is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world that brings in over $150 billion as an industry every year solely based off of the exploiting and selling of other people. So speaking of conspiracies, we might as well just bring this up, um, especially because it's something that in many ways is tied to human trafficking today. So you mentioned in your question about human trafficking being tied to powerful people, and that's indeed the case. Human trafficking is something that has been linked to and tied to many powerful people in our world, which is also why it's the elephant in the room, because it's swept under the rug. So to give you an example, back in December of 2021, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial took place. Now, Ghislaine Maxwell, if you aren't familiar, was the girlfriend of Jeffrey Epstein, who was an American financier and convicted sex offender who had ties to powerful people like the Clintons and Prince Andrew, just to name a few. Now, Ghislaine Maxwell was found guilty on five of six charges that were linked to solicitation and exploitation of women for sex. She was essentially a pimp for Jeffrey Epstein, and I mentioned this case for a few reasons. One, everything about Jeffrey Epstein had always been ruled as a conspiracy theory until everything was eventually proven true. And two, due to Epstein being linked to powerful people, the facts have in many ways proven that many powerful people in the world are indeed tied to and tied up in the huge industry of trafficking and not surprisingly and honestly very sadly after the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell all the records were sealed so we will actually never know who actually was all a part of it. The sad thing about human trafficking because when we talk about it it's such just a heavy and dark and and sad topic to talk about, but that is exactly why we have to raise awareness for it. Trafficking happens all around us. And the scary and sad thing about this is that many of us have probably witnessed trafficking without even realizing what it is because it's so devious and traffickers and pimps are expert at force and control that they fly under the radar. The sad thing is that even if they are noticed, people are so uneducated about what trafficking looks like, especially in many times um, law enforcement aren't educated about what trafficking actually looks like in situations, that they don't step in to help those actually being trafficked. 
And this is why bringing a greater awareness to it is first and foremost very important. And secondly, educating people about what trafficking looks like, but also how we can step in and help people escape those situations. So it's a very real evil in our world. And I would encourage you, highly, highly encourage you to check out a couple of organizations that I love supporting and that do such an amazing job day in and day out rescuing people and bringing them healing from human trafficking. So I would encourage you to check out Operation Underground Railroad, the organization Exodus Cry, International Justice Mission, and Love 146 to learn more. Yes, yeah, so good. Thank you for that overview. I'm linking all of those resources that you mentioned in our show notes, and I think that your point about human trafficking being so evil that it's easy to think that it doesn't happen all around us is so true. And the other factor that I want to point out is that these organizations and these people that participate in human trafficking, they operate so silently that it's easy to ignore this issue if you want to, right? It's not like abortion where there's a whole movement basically happening about the freedom of a choice around our culture, right? Human trafficking is this really horrifying issue that we're still kind of trying to grasp how it's happening in a nation that's so developed as the United States and kind of how to combat it. So that is really important. Madison, the next question I want to ask you is about women's health care and why you think the way that it is dealt with in the United States is actually very damaging to women. So can you share a little bit about that and how you think it needs to be improved and how that kind of drives the I love this question so much and it sounds weird to say but I honestly geek out over topics like this these days because of just everything that I'm learned. I just love talking about it and having conversations and people probably think that that's weird but I think it's just so incredible and we're talking about being empowered as women having conversations about topics like this that affect and have to do with who we are and our bodies and how God made us is truly a beautiful and empowering thing. So this is a great question and I think there are two parts to this. Addressing modern feminism and addressing modern women's health care. So modern feminism is so toxic and has moved completely away from what feminism was originally created to be. And today I feel like it's really just known for demanding abortion on demand and in some ways celebrating this idea of sexual promiscuity as empowerment, which is not really empowering at all. Typical feminists as a whole today are all for women's health care when it comes to birth control and abortion, because that is a part of their agenda, without demanding informed consent about their medical choices. And I don't consider myself to be a feminist because obviously I don't agree with what feminism has become today. Biblical feminism is about being a strong woman who honors others. That's what the beauty of true biblical feminism is. That we, as women, respect others and build them up, um, both men and women alike. And we do not see this in the modern feminist movement. Biblical feminism is about respecting our bodies because they are beautiful things that God created to give life. And modern feminists don't respect that really whatsoever. They think that destroying their bodies and others is empowering because the world has told them that and 
you know, fed them this lie. Biblical feminism is all about affirming the family, one of the most incredible units that God created, and affirming men to be strong and take on the role of protector and provider and spiritual leader in their home, while modern feminists hate absolutely all these things, especially men and the traditional family unit, and in many times, babies, because they're all for abortion. So like I said, I am not a feminist at all by the terms of second and third wave feminism. However, if there's one thing I would say that I might lean into from a slightly feminist perspective, hear me out, like don't jump to conclusions yet, is women's health care. So feminism by definition is supporting women's rights on the basis of equality of the sexes. And I think men and women today are equal in many ways. I mean, studies have proven this. People can debate this all day long, but we have so many rights today, and I believe men and women are equal, especially when you look at it from a big biblical perspective. Um, but that's a whole other topic. So let's talk about women's rights. Women deserve informed consent and healthcare today, and I have realized that that isn't really the case whatsoever. Women are not told how abortion will affect them, for the rest of their lives. Women are prescribed birth control from a young age for various, a host of different reasons, and then struggle with hormonal issues throughout their life, PCOS, and often infertility later in life when many of those things could potentially and in many ways are linked to prolonged use of birth control. Many women are prescribed birth control as treatment, in quotes, okay, for acne or other health issues, but birth control just masks the real issues and doesn't treat them. Women are not told how birth control can affect their fertility, their hormones, mood, attraction, emotions, and more, and that just is not fair. I mean, think about what birth control is. It's essentially taking a medication that is a kind of hormone that is telling your body to stop doing it, doing what it's naturally created to do. And we wonder why we have health problems and why we have all of these issues while taking birth control. It's because we are literally shutting down a vital functioning part of our bodies. And I think a lot of this kind of misconception and misunderstanding and uninformed consent, um, the biggest thing is that it kind of can be traced to the fact that women are not educated about the beauty of how God made their bodies. I have done a deep dive, um, not this year because we're only a couple weeks into this year, um, but in 2021, I did a deep dive into women's health. Like We're talking natural birth control, natural birth, and all the things I have learned are so eye-opening but I only know them now because I did the research. No doctor ever told me these things. Honestly, most doctors don't. And only now have I actually started to have deep conversations about these topics with my mom and my sister and friends. And our biggest takeaway is that women just are not told these things. When feminist and pro-choice activists say that women should have the freedom over their bodies to make their own choices for their health and reproduction, they don't realize that they are living a life devoid of that actual freedom to make those informed decisions. True freedom over women's health is about informed consent, being educated and told about the effects and side effects of birth control, being educated about the beauty of how God made your body, understanding our fertility as women, our reproduction, and what abortion actually entails before going through with the pr procedure. 
Women deserve better than to have their health struggles preyed upon and their vulnerabilities exploited by big pharma and Planned Parenthood. After doing that deep dive in 2021, the things I have learned really totally blew my mind and I encourage you to go look into these things more. And I know that kind of sounds weird coming from, I mean, I'm not married, I am single, I don't have kids, but even if you are not in that season of life, I think understanding the beauty of how God made you as a woman is such an incredible thing. And so if you have never looked into this or had conversations with people about it, I cannot encourage you more to go do research. Um, if you go check me out on Instagram, I have a highlight all about this and I link all of these different podcasts that I've listened to that have taught me so much and all these different resources. So definitely go check that out. Um, and also I encourage you to check out the documentary Business of Being Born and Business of Birth Control. Um, Business of Being Born is absolutely eye-openingly amazing um, and business of birth control really breaks down the industry and business of birth control um, and the uninformed consent surrounding women so yeah okay love how you said that strong women respect others others being both men and women not just other women that is what biblical feminism is. Yes, 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 yes. I will be quoting you on that forever. Um, that's so true. And that's something that modern day feminism is lacking. And I also think your point about informed consent in every aspect of medical care is so important. And this is something that I'm passionate about as a nursing student. I'm graduating in about 11 months with my BSN and this is something that my education hits on and leans on so highly but unfortunately you're so right women's health care is lacking in the area of informed consent especially surrounding abortions like we already talked about it's really influenced by big pharma and the Planned Parenthood culture and their agenda with abortion and the money making that they that they do because of the abortions and the numbers of babies that are killed in the United States. Um, the next question I want to ask you is to talk more about that modern day feminism that we've kind of touched on in this conversation but I want you to really highlight why it's harmful and why you believe that we need to be aware of the fact that it's harmful. I love that y'all talk about biblical feminism on this podcast and I 100% support that. I think this is an important and very relevant discussion and topic. So I believe that my personal views on feminism stem from my traditional values and my belief in who God designed women to be. If you go to the scriptures, biblical feminism is so evident and modern feminism is 100% not evident whatsoever. When we as women are living in line with God's word, it's easy to walk in step with biblical womanhood. But the moment we turn our backs on God and see other things that seem better than him, that's when women will fall prey to modern feminism. And we sadly see this in the world today. When women feel as if something is missing from their lives, they often turn to careers, a relationship, 
developing woke views on women's rights because they think these things can fill and fulfill their life and what is lacking in their life when the reality is that a relationship with our creator is the only thing that can truly fulfill us and heal our brokenness, heal our anxiety and our depression, our loneliness and the things that we are going through. So when it comes to feminism, it might have been mentioned before on this podcast, there are actually three different waves to the feminist movement. This is kind of like the timeline history of the feminist ideal. So the first wave was focused on women's suffrage, earning legal rights and the right to vote. And I totally get this wave of feminism. It makes sense. I, in many ways, am in support of that original first wave of feminism. I think it was important. However, the second wave was about equal pay. And we're not just talking about equal pay in general. This was also all about career options and even more largely reproductive rights, which is when everything started to go downhill. And the third wave of feminism, which is what we are now seeing in our world today, is focused on patriarchy. So this erases gender. It focuses on pronouns. It devalues what it means to be a woman. And it blames everything on the patriarchy. So third wave feminism is nothing great whatsoever. And if we're talking about toxicity when it comes to feminism, this is really where we get the toxicity of feminism. And modern feminism today is our third wave feminism. Modern feminism is toxic and really isn't beneficial for women or society because it isn't everything that it claims to be. It isn't truly empowering because it is based on tearing others down, especially tearing down men, in addition to glamorizing sex and abortion as freedom and empowerment. In a way, I kind of think that modern feminism creates like a dangerous privilege and people are not going to like me for saying this, but it's kind of true. So companies today change policies to hire more women. So even if you aren't as qualified for the job, um, they'll hire you. I personally uh, would rather prove myself to be qualified rather than to simply be hired because I was a woman. In a world rampant with sexual assault, which is truly absolutely so, so horrible. And I'm not trying to downplay women who have been assaulted. I know people who have and I understand the trauma that they carry and that they have gone through and walked through. But in many ways, women have power today to accuse someone of assaulting them and know that their word will ruin that man's life, even if it's not the truth. And many women have abused this. And this is where we kind of get the Me Too movement, which in itself is flawed and really has hardly done any good. And so that's kind of what I mean by this idea that women today have, and and feminism today has a lot of power, um, and in many ways is kind of like a dangerous privilege. The flip side of this, however, I think we as women also need to hold men accountable to be better by demanding respect. Feminists are all about independence and not needing men, which slides in some ways into hating men oftentimes. And while I will admit that I, in, in, as myself, um, am a very independent person, I also recognize that women have become independent because we not only allow men to step back and not step up, but we don't carry high expectations that challenge men to actually be respectable men. When we as women value ourselves, our bodies, our children, our futures, we demand that same respect and value um, from men simply because we value who God created us to be. 
There's honestly so many things I could talk about in regards to modern feminism versus biblical feminism and the toxicity and just why it's bad. Um, but, but the more I think about this, I've kind of realized that what's even more sad is that feminists don't realize they're simply pawns for the left. Pawns for the woke mob demanding unhindered freedoms. And the left preys upon the demands of feminists and exploits their emotions to gain their vote while doing nothing to actually help them. They don't even know that they are being kind of set up and used. And the irony is that they're blindly following men who care nothing about their personal interest. I mean, feminists speak about all day long. We need to stop, you know, allowing these, um, you know, rich, powerful white men to control our lives when they are literally allowing white men to control their lives. Yeah, that's really good. I think the next direction I want to go with that with this interview is based on what you just mentioned in that last answer that you gave about abortion and feminism and medical care and how, women's health care and how they're all linked together. And I want you to kind of talk about Roe versus Wade, what that case actually is how you've educated yourself about that and how it's linked to the sexual revolution. This is something you mentioned in that viral Instagram post that I saw. And um, I think you're spot on with the connection that you made between Roe v. Wade and the sexual revolution. So can you have this is such a great question, and as weird as it says, is a very intriguing topic to talk about. I mean, it stemmed in history, and quite honestly, is one of the first examples of the media's abuse of power to persuade a country with propaganda. So many people are familiar with the huge Supreme Court case in the 70s known as Roe v. Wade, which, if I'm being honest, a lot of people today actually, while they know Roe v. Wade as a Supreme Court case, they don't actually know what it was about, which is also why there's this huge misinformation in regards to abortion and abortion laws today. So Roe v. Wade as a Supreme Court case ruled that the Constitution protects a woman's right to have an abortion, which in hearing that, if you didn't know it before, I hope you can see how crazy, absolutely crazy that is, that the Constitution protects a woman's right to kill her unborn child. And the reason that this is so crazy is that in a country known as the land of the free, we are willingly allowing the slaughter of our children. When I first heard about Roe v. Wade in history class growing up, I always kind of had a lot of kind of cognitive dissonance about it because it just didn't make sense that a ruling like that would ever be possible. And after learning a lot about it in the last year, I've discovered that it should never have been possible because it was all propaganda to begin with. Firstly, Jane Roe, who was the face of the pro-choice, pro-abortion side of the case, never even had an abortion. They simply exploited her desperation for their case. There's actually a documentary about Jane Roe on Hulu if you want to learn more. It was incredibly fascinating. And secondly, in regards to this, the media propaganda in the 1970s created a culture where women thought abortion was necessary to their freedom. Magazines like Cosmopolitan glamorized sex and they glamorized abortion when birth control failed. 
And this essentially created a country where women were demanding abortion because they had listened to the lies of women's magazines and bought into the propaganda of the media. To top this off, we also have articles that were written about abortion by Larry Ladder, who was the founder of NARAL, and Bernard Nathanson, who was the co-founder of NARAL and a top abortionist in the 1970s. And these articles that they wrote cited false statistics and information about abortion that led many people to believe that thousands of women were dying in back alleys from illegal abortions, which is why they needed to have abortion on demand. When a study like that was never actually done and very few women were actually dying in situations like this. The incredibly crazy irony in this whole situation is that the entire Roe side of the case, Jane Roe, used false facts all created and written by men. Do you hear me on that? The Roe side of the case, the pro-choice, pro-abortion side of the case, was all using false facts all created and written by men. Men like Cyril Chestnut Means, Larry Ladder, and Bernard Nathan Sim, just to name a few. Knowing that if they could exploit women's vulnerabilities, they could make a fortune and get women to support abortion on demand. What's even more sad is that they got Betty Friedan, who was the co-founder of the National Organization for Women. She was a huge women rights activist. They got her to jump on board with them and essentially be kind of the go-between to help persuade these women that they needed the freedom that was found in abortion. So all of this together, the skewed facts, the essentially bogus Supreme Court case hearing, men who wanted to make money, many desperate women, and the mass media all played a role in the greatest game of propaganda that has ever killed millions of babies living today. So if you want to learn more about the history of the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court case, all of it is laid out in a movie that came out last year in 2021 called Roe v. Wade, and I highly encourage you to go watch it. Um, it is an absolutely amazing, eye-opening, powerful, moving, emotional movie um, that shines a light on this insane court hearing that should never have taken place and a, a law that should never have gone into effect. However, for me, the biggest resource for understanding how Roe v. Wade came to be and how we now live in a world where we fight for the lives of the unborn is a book called Subverted, written by Sue Ellen Browder. She was a journalist at Cosmopolitan in the 1960s and 70s, and the subheading of her book, Subverted, is How I Helped the Sexual Revolution Hijack the Women's Movement. This book is absolutely eye-opening, hands down, probably one of my favorite books I read in 2021, and one of my favorite books I've probably read in a while just because of everything that she clearly lays out in regards to how this happened, but also just everything that happened in her own life. And this book shows how Roe v. Wade and abortion was essentially all a ploy of propaganda. Essentially, the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court case would never have happened if the sexual revolution hadn't glamorized sexual promiscuity, birth control as protection, and abortion when birth control failed. The theme of the sexual revolution was rampant through women's magazines. And then when women found themselves listening to these magazines and pursuing this lifestyle as fulfillment um, and dealing with the repercussions of those choices in lifestyle, then in stepped two men with a plan to provide abortion on demand and our world has not been the same since. So Roe v. Wade and the sexual revolution are intrinsically 
linked. And again, I highly, highly encourage you to go dive into this topic and learn more. Check out the book Subverted and check out the movie Roe v. Wade. Madison, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing all of this with us. I just really love how you touch on education and every answer that you give. I highly agree with you and I think that through educating ourselves about these issues and really looking at the root of them, we're able to really have our opinions challenged. Um, I know that when I began educating myself as an 18 year old woman is when I really my eyes opened to what was happening around me and how the culture was really not biblical in any sense of the word. So if I was going along with the things with the culture what the culture said, where did that put me in my faith and in my relationship with God and I really had to challenge myself on that so thank you so so much for joining us I want the viewers to know how they the listeners to know how they can find you so can you tell us where can we follow you online see the things that you're working on I know you have your own podcast so kind of share that with us yeah, so thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Samantha. It's been such a joy to chat about topics that are so near and dear to my heart and topics that at the end of the day are very controversial and very hot takes in um, our world and in a ever-changing, moving, modern society. Um, so if you are interested in following me online, I am on all different kinds of social media platforms. And my content honestly varies depending on the social media platform. So for real honest takes on life, faith, politics, politics and my beliefs you can follow me on instagram at miss madison lynn for random thoughts you can follow me on twitter at the madison underscore lynn for all things creative sewing and fashion you can find me on youtube under madison lynn and tiktok at miss underscore madison lynn i also have a teacher twitter and instagram that you can inevitably find through other social medias but those are basically everywhere you can find me like i said i'm am on basically most uh top social media platforms and the content varies but instagram is definitely your go-to if you want to hear um, information topics and conversations like you've heard on the podcast today